How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Pedro Mora, also from The Athletic. Welcome to the latest edition of The Scribes of Summer. Pedro, how's it going? It's going fine, Andy. How are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, these are desperate times, Pedro. Yes. We're deep into the quarantine, which means we have invited Dave Vasse onto the show. Yeah, this is very, uh, very <laughs> desperate for you. <laughs> desperate for us, desperate for you, desperate for our listeners. Here we are. Yeah, just like we would be in the press box, Andy, except uh, <laughs> you don't have a sombrero on like you did that one time in Arizona, or you're not laying on um, artificial grass like you were in Monterey, Mexico during a combined no hitter. Uh, that was a very. Years well, ago. I, I, that was very yeah. I had a real back issue that day, as I recall. Isn't that right, Pedro? Yeah, I have a picture of you uh, on my phone. You're like you're you're fully horizontal in the uh, in the yeah. box. <laughs> I, I'm gonna tweet that thing. The out. grab yeah, was wet too. I, yeah, that was a strange day. Vast, where does that uh, where does that rank in terms of uh, you know strange stadiums where you cover baseball? Was that weirder than Australia? Very, very much so. Just the adventure to get to where. We were supposed to sit and then have, you know, like Charlie oh, yeah. Steiner and Rick Monday sitting on the same type of stoop, one <laughs> one one section over. Uh, it was interesting. <laughs> I remember you had to go all if you're coming from the Dodger clubhouse, you had to go all the way down to the ground level and then find yeah. another spiral walkway to get to where we needed to sit during the game. So it was very right. disjointed. It, yeah. I yeah, it was a it was an interesting experience. Catching an Uber home was an interesting experience uh, from the from the ballpark. It was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time in Monterey. I remember the night of the no hitter. It was pouring after right. during the game too, but also after the game, <laughs> and it made it really hard to get a uh, yeah a car. And then they took our water bottles when we entered the stadium. Oh yeah, yeah Pedro's was, water was, bad, was confiscated. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna text you guys a photo of Andy just so you can have a little chuckle. Um, <laughs> this is good. This is good podcasting. Describe this photo, Andy. Want. Please, please do. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna send uh, this out somehow. I'll get it out there. Please, I don't know if that's what you need to do, man. This is a yeah. great podcast. Okay. Thank you, Vass. <laughs> so thanks. We're like ten episodes in. Really? Let me ask you something, Vass, because uh, we we're dealing with this now too. Wh- what do you talk about on Dodger Talk every week? A lot of reminiscing about the good times <laughs> before the dark times, before the empire. <laughs> yeah. So on Dodger Talk, I've uh, locked in Mark McGuire every Monday, Big Mac Monday. So we, he is very passionate about a lot of different things in baseball. So uh, he basically carries that hour. And then uh, Wednesdays, Andre Ethier wants to talk everything except baseball and gets upset when I want to bring us back to talk baseball. What does Andre Ethier want to talk about? Uh, what people are eating during quarantine. Uh, what are your favorite <laughs> baseball movies? I said, this is um, great for when you were with the Modesto A's, but this won't get it done in L.A., baby. <laughs> Whoa. Dave, what did you think of uh, Ethier wearing his full uniform during one of those uh, Zoom chats? That happened uh, on Dodger Talk. I challenged him to do that. And I also gave him a secret word to slip into that Zoom, which definitely needs to be livened up. What what was the word? Periwinkle. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because it's so ridiculous. I wanted him to see if he could get it in there. And he did. He okay. found a way to get get him in, get the word periwinkle in there. 
You know, the incredible thing about him wearing that full uniform, by the way, nobody mentioned a single thing. And by the way, it's Zoom, so you see the guy. Nobody mentioned a single thing that he was in full uniform for the first 37 minutes of that Zoom. <laughs> what was this? Was Did this they with... think it was just a t-shirt? And then when he drops in Periwinkle, <laughs> and then they move on to the next uh, subject. Nobody even stopped that this guy got Periwinkle into a sentence. <laughs> These are strange times. Yes. These are very strange. I am excited this week. I'm trying to reel in Brett Butler, who was a great center fielder. And I will argue maybe the best Dodgers center fielder in the last 35 years. Really? You're talking about defensively or overall? Overall. Complete player. Wow. He's better than Cody Bellinger? Uh, Cody's not a center fielder. He barely played there. I, Cody's a right fielder, first baseman. Matt Kemp might be the only guy to, to be better than Butler, but he was only... wow. Good for I don't know three years. Yeah, he had a he had a um, Andy. How, guess how many baseball reference war Brett Butler had in his career? Oh, you're gonna upset oh, Vasse if we start talking about. I'll war. hang up if you do Just, that. No, Vasse, this is gonna support <laughs> your argument. I promise. Okay, go ahead. Uh, wh- what's the question? How many war in what time period? In his career, Brett Butler. Uh, thirty-five. Fifty. Whoa! Thank you. He's a good little player. Yeah. You actually don't act like you know what 50 wins means. You have no (laughs) idea what 50 more means. Borderline approaching Hall of Fame territory. Yeah, Yeah, right. He was really good. 60 to 65 is the the threshold. That's surprising to me for someone who never had a – I mean, he never had a double-digit home run season. Obviously, you know, there's the – he had a lot more other a lot of other ways to provide value but wow that's i did not expect to see 50 on him. he was a really good player underrated player like you see right there not many people think of brett butler when they talk that's about say how players. would you how would you describe the dodgers of the 90s underachieving they were big underachievers starting the first year daryl strawberry was with the dodgers they had a nine game lead over the atlanta braves at the all-star break the braves were we're in third place at the All-Star break. The Reds were in second place five games back, coming off their 90 World Championship season. And Daryl Strawberry only had five home runs at the All-Star break, but they were miles ahead of the competition. But there was one huge turning point in that season that doomed the 91 Dodgers. Last game before the All-Star break at Dodger Stadium, Sunday afternoon game. I was there as a high schooler. Actually, yeah, freshman in high school. Ramon Martinez, on his way to a National League Cy Young, gets hit by a line drive by San Diego Padres third baseman and former Angel Jack Howell. He was never the same. And then after they started the second half of the season, they started on a Montreal, Philly, New York, East Coast trip. And that always turned out poorly for the Dodgers back in those days. And the Braves made up uh, basically their entire deficit in the first two weeks of the second half. And the Dodgers ended up losing by one game, the NL West that year. And they had guys like Brett Butler, Juan Samuel, Daryl Strawberry, Eddie Murray, Cal Daniels. Guys like that were Mike Sosha. They were stacked. Gary Carter was the backup catcher. Yeah, I was going to say, if Gary Carter was the backup catcher on this team? Yeah. This is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys plan this whole conversation? That sounded like an ad read from Vasse. Very impressive. <laughs> That's one of my that that is my favorite Dodger team outside of the eighty eight Dodgers, the ninety one Dodgers. 
Oh, oh come on. You know your favorite, favorite. your favorite your favorite Dodger team favorite is whatever Dodger team's right in front of you. That's not true, well, Andy. None, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did enjoy the 2013 Dodgers. Uh, that was – I did enjoy covering that the team. year? Okay. Yeah, and Han- Hanley, Puig's first year, Gonzalez's first year with the Dodgers. It was a so good So tell year. me, why, why is 91 so special to you? Well, I mean, Daryl Strawberry at the time was larger than life, and mm-hmm. – he was coming off uh, great years in New York, and you just had those same expectations when he signed with the Dodgers. He's from Crenshaw. So, right. yeah, I mean, you just got the best player in the National League. You just signed him to, at that time, the largest contract in baseball history. And he comes out not not that great. And then the second half, he hits 23 home runs and helps carry you to the division. And um, they fell f- short. And after that, Strawberry was was MIA literally with the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at his baseball reference page and you are not kidding. He uh he was like he, Andrew Jones level, MIA? He played 70 I'm not good at math. He played 75 more games as a Dodger. Yeah. They couldn't find him That's during it. the freeway series of 1992. Oh no. Yeah, he was uh, unfortunately uh, going down yeah. the spiral of uh, addiction at that time. And yeah. they had just traded, if you could believe this, Fred Clare traded uh, John Wetland, Tim Belcher for Eric Davis, who better years were behind him because of injuries. So it just turned out to be a disastrous 99 loss season for the 92 Dodgers. Only highlights, Eric Harris is rookie of the year, beating out Reggie Sanders and Kevin Gross throwing a no hitter. I buy that. Yeah. 92 was the rough year. 99 losses. <laughs> How much do you think the sort of – because I think there's a uh, – you know, to get to a 31-year um, drought, right, you have to – it takes a long time, right? And and I think there is a perception maybe among uh, younger Dodgers fans that there is uh, probably like unfair criticism of this team for the way that they maybe have struggled in the postseason in recent years. But how much do you feel like just the the – the amount of time, the years you spend with a franchise makes it sort of adds to the despair as the drought goes longer and longer, I guess. Oh, huge. You know, Los Angeles is used to having winning teams and the Dodgers have had a history of winning. Uh, the longest drought was between 65 and 81. And in between that, they went to the World Series in 66, 74, 77, and 78 had a heartbreaking loss in the postseason of 1980. So they still had winning teams, even though they couldn't get over the hump. But for 30 plus years, that's like 100 years to those uh, Chicago fans over there in uh, Wrigleyville. 30 years to a winning city like LA is like 100 to a losing city like Chicago. Oh, no. <laughs> this is going mean, to resurface, the, the huh? Vasse's war against, <laughs> against Cubs fans is one of my favorite baseball This is going to blow up our podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Vasse. Well, you're going yeah. to get us noticed. I'm just trying to put it in perspective on the drought and the feelings here in Los Angeles. That's oh, yeah. all I'm trying to do. Um, but going back to why the Dodgers have not won the World Series – Since 1988, it all started when Peter O'Malley sold the team. And even before that, he started to, you know, couldn't compete with the other teams or was unwilling to compete with the other teams to sign big name players. And since Peter O'Malley sold the team, they have had multiple owners. They have had multiple managers, multiple GMs. So with all this uh, instability, 
that create the consistency and winning culture that they've had over the course of the last eight or nine years, it just hasn't been there up until this ownership. And uh, mm-hmm. even, even the transition from Ned Coletti, who laid the foundation, it was a, it was a seamless uh, handoff to Andrew Friedman, who's taken it to the next level. So it, it, everybody says, oh, they haven't won in 30 years. Well, it's not like it's the same owner and the same GM that have been in charge. It's been multiple owners, a disastrous divorce that ended the team up in bankruptcy. So come on. There's a lot of different reasons why. You want to know about the Paul Canerco trade? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Shaw, baby. Yeah, tell us. Tell us. Yeah, they. there was a big debate over where Paul Canerco would play because Eric Karras was entrenched at first base. And they tried him at third base. Then they wanted him in left field. And he just was kind of a clunker defensively. First base was his place. And, you know, Karras... I guess was was a fan favorite, even though they always booed him, and there was some somewhat of an adversarial relationship between the fans and Karos at that time. But yeah, uh, they traded him to the Reds, and I guess the Reds are even dumber for trading him to the White Sox. <laughs> Vast. I Did think you Jim Bowden, who's part of the Athletic, was the GM at that time. It's uh, true, he was. Wow. Well. Hey, Vest, did you know that uh, the Dodgers actually were the team who drafted uh, Mike Piazza? Yeah, 62nd round, yeah. And uh, Fox <laughs> Fox uh, subsequently uh, traded him, fired Fred Claire and Bill Russell in the dead of night. And <laughs> actually, you know what? The Piazza, you could put a little bit of blame on Peter This is just like O'Malley. an airing of... This is just the airing of grievances. This is our best episode yet. You could put a little bit of blame. Peter O'Malley does deserve some of the blame of Piazza being traded because when he was up for arbitration, it was somewhat contentious as well. And they settled on two years, $16 million. When Piazza wanted that long-term deal a couple of years ago, and that's when Peter O'Malley started to have the realization that, hey, I can't compete to give a player, one player, $90 million. I mean, $20 million was the most he gave to a player, and that was Strawberry in 91. And then, and then, I don't even know what word to use, but insanity would be a great one. They say no to Mike Piazza for $90 million, but then, hey, let's give Kevin Brown $100 million plus 10 <laughs> private flights to make in Georgia during the season. That makes a whole lot of sense. What's wrong with flying to Georgia? Why would you give Kevin Brown that money and not Mike Piazza? Well, th- I mean, well, okay. Yeah, you can argue that, uh, you know, Piazza is a better it. investment. But Kevin Brown was really good for the Dodgers. Uh, he was good. It wasn't exactly. I mean, he had a bad. He had, it, wasn't, it wasn't a perfect stretch by any means. He gave them four good years. Uh, three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. Gary Sheffield so. told me a story once about Kevin Brown. Um, it was after a bad starter, he was upset about something and Sheffield was going to his locker to get a bat out of his, uh, bat bag. And Brown was in the clubhouse and I guess he had an iron horseshoe in his locker that he fired across the clubhouse in the direction of Sheffield's locker. And if he did not turn around in that split second and duck, it would have nailed him right in the head. And I'm sure there would have been a melee between the two in the clubhouse because Sheffield had a bat and, Obviously, Kevin Brown had some anger issues back then. Well, it sounds like if a guy like that, you know, was kind of dealing with those sort of feelings, it's good that he was able to fly home at various times. Yeah, yeah. 
But I mean, come on. My okay, here's a here's something for you guys. Who did the Dodgers get in return for Mike Piazza from the Marlins? Uh, well, uh, Manuel. I mean, I'm not looking this up, but I could yeah, basically on, tell you. Joe. I think Manuel Berrios, Jim Eisenreich, uh, Gary Sheffield, Bobby Bonilla, and uh, Charles Johnson. Oh yeah, the catcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the story mm-hmm. is, you know, there was a holdup in that trade. Uh, Mike Piazza knew that he was going to be traded the night before after a game. And they called him into the trainer's room and they told him there with Todd Zeal, who was part of the Dodger end of the trade. And Charles Johnson was holding up the trade. He told Gary Sheffield he did not want to be traded there. So Sheffield held up the trade because he had a no trade clause and the Dodgers would have to pay him or the Marlins would have to pay him extra money to accept the trade. And Sheffield was doing that on behalf of Charles Johnson, who they were tight with and uh, I think it's been a, a false narrative to Gary Sheffield's career, and they, you know, painted him the bad guy. But in fact, he was actually being a good teammate to a guy like Charles Johnson, who did not want to go. And Sheffield had the leverage to try to prevent that from happening. Wait, the Dodgers got Gary Sheffield for Mike Piazza? That's a good trade for the Dodgers. It was, but there was just so much fallout, <laughs> so much fallout, because Piazza was... Sheffield was never appreciated in L.A. because he was the replacement to Mike Piazza. And it just right. The franchise just uh, just went down downhill after that trade and during the Fox years, the Empire years. Yeah, we've we've talked about uh, we had a podcast where we kind of drafted the best Dodger seasons uh, of the past 20 years uh, of this millennium, I guess. And Chef uh, plays a, a prominent role in terms of just the most dangerous hitters uh during that time his he was very very productive yeah his best years were with the dodgers him and sean green were a great one two combo yeah heard about sean green's anniversary on friday (laughs) do you feel like that gets uh you feel like that gets too much play here in la every year oh i don't know that's a good question um i mean it was a it's a momentous occasion it's I don't, I don't why why would it get too much play? I don't know. I, don't, I, I mean, feel like two guys like you would get tired of hearing about guys like me talking about Sean Green and his 19 total bases still a major league record. I think you give yourself too much credit that I'm paying attention. <laughs> Obviously, if you see this photo from Monterey, Mexico, the only time you perk up is when Kershaw's <laughs> on the mound or Ross Stripling. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about the the current Dodgers even though they don't uh even though they don't uh, necessarily have a schedule in front of them. I mean, how uh, fr- from your perspective like how disappointing is it for this franchise that they may not get to see? I mean, that just no matter what baseball looks like in 2020, it won't be the season that the Dodgers were kind of envisioning. How how much of a setback is that, do you think, for the, for the organization? I think big because you guys saw what was happening in spring training. They really had the makings of not only a team built to win the West or the National League, but they were built to beat the best in the American League. And, you know, all the anticipation and excitement. They play in the National League, Bass. I know. They were not only – Willing to, they only had a, they had a team to win the West and the National. He was thinking League. ahead. He was thinking oh, ahead, Andy. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. and the, okay. I really believe that they, this was the team best constructed to run the table through the World mm-hmm. Series. I know their bullpen was somewhat of a question mark. You were asking for bounce back years from half of the guys that the Dodgers were expecting or counting on big things like Joe Kelly, who had a pretty good year last year, but got off to a slow start and. 
was uh, banged up in the postseason, but still was used for two innings in uh, game five of the uh, NLDS. And he had Kenley Jansen. True? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Did you not know that? <laughs> Let's just keep moving. Oh, my. <laughs> Mr. National Rider can't keep tabs on a lowly player. I don't think like Andy Joe can Kelly. forget that, Vasse. I don't think Andy can forget no. that. Yes, I, I, I was aware. I was aware that he was used for a second. Oh, minute. sorry. Let's Athletic just, humor. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think you're right, though. Like, outside, I mean, the bullpen, they were betting on a bunch of guys bouncing back. That's most bullpens most years. But, like, outside of that, in terms of lineup, rotation, yeah. like, just yeah. tough to tough to argue with. Right, especially the way David Price was throwing the ball in spring training and their depth. By acquiring Price in the bets trade, they provided themselves some coverage in case mm-hmm. they needed to replace somebody that got injured for – any amount of time and also to keep the innings down for guys like price and Kershaw and whomever else they wanted by bumping Gonsolin and Dustin Maybach, And then having a guy like Ross Stripling, the athletics favorite here on this podcast. So they, they were set up, they were set up is the point. And the reason why I think now it's maybe the, the what I'm getting at is they were set up to win the world series this year and then next mm-hmm. year, there's the potential of having a lot of roster turnover because Justin mm-hmm. Turner's a free agent. Jock Peterson right. is. You guys know who they are. I mean, significant guys that may or may not come back next year for whatever reason. Kike Hernandez can be a free agent at the end of the year. Right. He's been a key piece. So you know what I'm saying? The complexion of this team that fans have grown to know, there may be more interchangeable parts after this season. Yeah, the you know Justin Turner, obviously, like we've talked about this year, he's you know sort of the the part of the backbone of the team. Um, I mean, wh- what do you think? I guess we don't. There's no way to really predict what free agency will look like given the financial aspect of it. But it's kind of hard to envision this team without him on the roster, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And if you're going to bring back Chase Utley for the years they brought him back at the production he was providing, how do you not bring back Justin Turner? I know he's 35. I know he's got the bad knee, but somehow, some way, he answers the bell when it matters the most. And he just, you know, Max Muncy has told me on numerous occasions how good he is, not only with the at-bats and forcing the pitcher make those pitches and hitting the home runs and driving in the runs, but also the value he provides giving the rest of the bench the the scatter report on what that pitcher mm-hmm. has that day. And those are things that don't show up with war or a box score, or any of those things. So, uh, yeah, his value is is pretty big. If it makes you feel better, War says he's a good player too. That's... Oh wow! I'm glad I, we have War to tell me that. It's just a supplement. It doesn't have to be that bad. It's a nice little measure. That's oh, all. Little, yeah. Yeah, I guess the difference between Turner and Utley, though, is that you know they were able to re-sign Utley for a million a year, whereas with Turner, it's going to cost uh, significantly more than that. But what will I just, it cost? I, do we know? I have no idea. I mean, I have no idea. You could like, I especially with the way the market is right now. But like, he could get a three-year deal at yeah. you know he could get three years and sixty million, or he could be on like a one-year you know seven million dollar deal. I have no idea what the market is worth. Like, I would lean towards the the three-year commitment than I would for the one you know for like ten or something. But it's I mean the the polls are pretty pretty wide. I think. What do you think, Pedro? 
Yeah, it's. I, I think we 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 sort of spent a couple minutes on this month ago or so ago, and just because of the uncertainty of the free the coming free agent market, we kind of left it at we have no idea. And I, I unfortunately think we're still there. I mean, you know, let me let me pose this to you, Vast, because you're in touch with this stuff. Like, if you had to get, like give me a ballpark figure for where Mookie bet what Mookie bets will make this off season, and how much less is that going to be now than what it would have been. Uh, where where it looked like it would have been four months ago. I mean, this this entire free agent market is going to be impossible to predict. I agree. I feel like he's lost at least a hundred million dollars with this pandemic and the way the sport has taken a hit financially. And I know the players dispute that. And I know it's only been one year, and the owners have made significant billions of dollars in recent seasons. But if you're just looking at this new normal that we're starting to go into here. Uh, I, I just don't see uh, thir- uh, uh, as an industry owners willing to give out $400 million to one player. And that's that's what was projected for him to possibly get yeah. or come close to. I just don't see that happening. And I feel like when you're just looking at Dodger free agents, hit Mookie Betts and Justin Turner are two of the most interesting cases when they hit the market. And Andy, you mentioned three years I don't know. I, I don't know how other teams, whether or not I feel like Justin Turner has more value for the Dodgers than he does for another team. And I feel like if he's going to get a three year deal, it should come from the Dodgers. You would think so. But are they the team who's going to give out a three year deal to a 35 year old third baseman is kind of the is the issue. I mean, I guess if the DH is coming in in a, in yeah. a year or two. Yeah. Um, I guess that plays a big part, whether or not they're moving yeah. forward with the DH after this experimental right. season. What I wonder with with Mookie Betts is if like okay so we can pretty much rule out the idea that someone's going to give out a four hundred million dollar deal right yeah is there going to be a team that offers a three hundred million dollar deal is there going to be a team that offers a two hundred million dollar deal and if you're Mookie Betts should you take two hundred million or should you take you know a a one year pillow contract for as much money as possible and hope the market rebounds i mean i i don't know what the answer is and i don't think we're going to know for a while i i it's it's going to be really difficult don't you feel both of you like with the economics of the game it provides the dodgers with a better chance of re-signing mookie bets for a team friendly contract and what i mean by team friendly is exactly what you said, Andy, a pillow contract for one year for Mookie Betts to see uh, where the market rebounds to in two years. But the CBA is expiring after next season, as you guys are both aware of. So it may make more sense for him to take a one-year deal and see where it goes mm-hmm. after 2021, regardless of where where uh, whether or not this pandemic hit and this season was wiped out or cut in half and without fans. So maybe one year was in his best interest either way. Yeah. Especially if there's going to be a lockout. Yes. I was, (laughs) I question whether (laughs) I question whether it might not be the best idea to take a one year pillow deal. I mean, let's say if you think the the game is going to continue to get worse economically, then you take the money, you take the long-term bill you can get now, you know, I mean, any long-term bill he's going to sign is still going to be, you know, a generational amount of wealth. And so it's sure if it's 250 and not 400 i mean that's you know that's a significant loss but it's still 250 million dollars and so is that better than a one-year 38 40 million dollar deal from the dodgers or something like that it might be you know i I don't know where is the game going we can't none of us can say for sure we're all you know sitting here in total object uncertainty so it's i I wouldn't 
either way, though, I think the Dodgers are in good shape to sign him. Yeah, I, I agree with your general point. One thing is obvious is he is intent on testing the market or he would assign an extension right. with the Red Sox. He's one of those abnormal players that enjoyed playing in Boston and uh, he would have he would have <laughs> he would have played there. Do you like any cities besides Los Angeles? Yeah, I love Hawaii. Uh, Honolulu. <laughs> that, that, yeah. oh my Honolulu, gosh. though? That's not even the best city in Hawaii. Maui? I, I saw yeah, the best parts of Hawaii aren't cities, right? I'm not making a, I'm not making the athletic type of coin here. I can only afford Honolulu. <laughs> you can only afford Honolulu. <laughs> that's, your, that's your new yeah, mission statement. This okay. is, you know, it's interesting because like I, I've written this a bunch over the winter is just the idea that there was no team in baseball better set up to sign Mookie Betts long-term than the Dodgers, right? There was no team that had the money, the interest, the, you know, the, the financial flexibility, all that sort of stuff. And now it's just all out the window. I mean, we just don't know anything about what their finances are going to look like. And, and Pedro, you're right. Like, do you take a one year, $45 million deal and hope the market rebounds? Or do you just say, well, $225 million is a really nice amount of money. And I'll take that. I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, it's a. I would love to have these uh, problems, but they are kind of problems, right? Yeah, I don't know. I I can't even say forty five. I can't say ten. I just don't know. I don't think anybody knows where this is going after after this season and where the free agent market is. Pedro's right. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, so we can only guess. But I I I would even say forty five million for one year, Andy. That's on the high end. Yeah, I'm, it, yeah. It's yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Pedro? Yeah, I would say I would think more forty, but I also know nothing, so it 40? could be fifty. <laughs> that's you know? that's a that's a pretty good one year deal. I mean, he's a really good player. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. he, you know, arbitration held down his salary, and it's still determined he was worth twenty seven this year. So, uh, yeah, I think something like that. In the, th- I mean, it would have to be above thirty million dollars. You would expect, and that's in the ballpark of what the Dodgers were offering for Bryce Harper per year, and Mookie mm-hmm. Betts is a, for three years, co- right? So it's it's yeah, a lot easier but- to, to stomach that for one. Yeah, and Betts is kind of a significantly better player than Harper. For yes. sure. And he'll, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, well, we solved it's that. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what did we solve? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Vass, when you, uh, you're in touch with uh, players, you know, you uh, like carrying their water and all that sort wow. of stuff. What What are you hearing about uh, from, you know, I don't know, you don't have to really say, you know, whom, but what what's the tenor of conversation you're having with players about their optimism about getting a deal done this year? Uh, well, I would. It depends on which players speak to. Some guys are more optimistic yeah. than others, Andy. Uh, some are more in tune with what's going on between the owners and the players' association. Others are preparing. I think all of them that I've spoken to are preparing like there is going to be a season, especially right. on the Dodgers because they have those expectations of winning. So if you show up in camp and you're not up to par with the rest of the team. They're going to look at you sideways. So no matter where they are, Arizona, Texas, some are here in L.A., they're all it feels like they're all getting ready for a season to begin around July 4th. Um, And uh, week to week, the guys that are in tune with the negotiations between the owners and players are more optimistic some days than others. And. I could tell you up until this week, some of the reports out there about whatever the owners were going to propose or have supposedly proposed to the players were were not true. The players have not gotten any formal 
proposal from the owners up until uh, Tuesday, the day after Memorial yeah. Day. So all, right. all so the that, other stuff was conjecture that we were reading. And it's for me, it's hard to believe that one player or two players that are being sourced have the pulse of the entire union because they all come from different backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's the real challenging thing is if you talk to five different players you will find kind of five different opinions about what's the right thing to do or what's the most important thing to do or you know what what issues are the things that you know should be most prominent and I mean that's the challenge of having a a union with like a you know a diverse sort of labor force as baseball does but it does I, I do think that some of the players that I've talked to are kind of frustrated with how this is being presented as an economic argument when their major concerns our health and safety. I think that there. Uh, I think some guys feel like the the health and safety stuff has been sort of dismissed in a way that, uh, at least in the in the perception of what is at stake here, in a way that is kind of frustrating for them. Yeah, I agree with that. the uh, The conversations have been more about the health and than it has right. been about uh, about the finances with a lot of the guys, the majority of the guys, and you know, like you mentioned, Andy the diversity of the union not only is economics, but your family lifestyle. I mean, look at Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I'm sure his perspective today is a lot different than it was even five years ago, having three kids. And then you look at AJ Pollock, whose wife just gave birth to a premature newborn. And uh, I saw him do an interview that he feels like he would play, but he would have to do what was best for him. And then you, you hear about, you know, Dave Roberts and Joe Madden, advanced managers. A lot of people are concerned about right. uh, their their health risks. So there's a lot of different hurdles that um, I don't know. I don't know if they can get all of them, get over all of them. Right. Yeah, I think you're yeah, right. That's, fa- that's a fair question for sure. And the it's, testing. I mean, I think everybody takes for granted the, the lack of testing or the lack of the accuracy of testing. And the, the lack of being able to turn around the testing accurately quickly enough so there is not a super spreader player or staff member right. amongst these guys in whatever clubhouse or gym or whatever you have. So that mm-hmm. I've read, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I have read a lot of science articles and super spreading is at the root of what's causing so many people being infected with this pandemic, with this virus. Yeah. And baseball players. <laughs> well, yeah, you think about like what's the what's a really bad environment for that? Well, what about a congested space yeah. that's filled with you know like sweaty sort of dirty individuals who you know like are you know seeing each other on a regular basis? It's a baseball clubhouse, and it's kind of it's problematic. So my question um, to both of you: you guys have seen the photos of baseball being played during the 1918 Spanish flu? You guys have seen those, right? Yes. The Mm -hmm. catcher, the hitter, the umpire are all wearing masks on the field. Why can't today's baseball players wear masks when they play? That would that would eliminate a lot of the health risks on the field and in the clubhouse. Well, I don't know. They did it during the Spanish flu. They did it during the Spanish flu. Yeah, but it's not as it's just not as simple as that. I mean, the issue is the issue is the the travel. 
and, and you're going to have guys breaking out of protective bubble and, you know, you're going to have to fly this massive operation right. from city to city. You're going to have to practice sort of quarantine discipline on the road. You know, it's just, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I don't, I don't care. They should wear masks when they play. It wouldn't, you know, make the product any worse for me, but I don't know if that really stops the spread of the virus, particularly. I think the issue is inside the clubhouse and basically having an, uh, enough testing so that there's not a lag. So no one just kind of gets into the environment and starts spreading with before, you know, they're sort of identified as someone who's infected. Doesn't that go back to the trust, the trust factor that you want? You don't want to be the guy that shuts down the sport by going out when they're telling you to stay in when you're on the road. But you guys know players as well as I do. It's going to be very difficult for them to stay confined in their room. But I will say this. Today's player does play a lot of video games and never leaves their room. So it may be yeah. easier than you think. It's it's definitely yeah. easier now than it is in like the 1980s. That's for sure. Yeah, the 86. Any Mets. group of a thousand, you know, humans is gonna is going to have people who break the rules, though. And so, Whoa. like, I understand your point about photos, the the, the 1918 stuff. That's it. But I I think like to Andy's point, like the actual on field product is such a small concern relative to the others. It's about the dugout time, the clubhouse time, the flights, the hotels, the showers, you know, and uh, what about celebrations after, you know, what if a guy throws a no hitter or none of the players allowed to touch him? Yeah. What if, you know, it, there's just so many, so many things other than the, that moment where the, you know, the, the hitter is standing up there with the catcher in the up. I don't know. I question whether it can all work out, but they seem to be hopeful. Are, do they? I don't know, man. I, I question that too. I, I don't know. Do, do, do you think they're, they are, David? I feel like they've gone and exhausted every avenue to try to see if they can cross their T's and dot their I's with that 67-page health protocol that they submitted to the players. But, you know, talking to Mark McGuire on the air and Andre Ethier on the air about it, and they see a lot of flaws in there. They can't wrap their head around uh, encouraging players not to shower since uh, soap <laughs> helps you uh, remove whatever virus or germs that you may yeah. have on your hands, why wouldn't you encourage a player to shower before he gets on a full bus on the road or in a yeah. car with his family? Oh. So I think that was the first. And on that 67-page uh, protocol manual, I've seen it. It does have draft at the very top of every page. So it is just a draft. They're trying to work through it. But they have to work quickly if they're really targeting 4th of July or thereabout. They're running out of time here to to make sure that everything's in place. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting in that talking to like epidemiologists and infectious disease experts about the the proposal, like a lot of the players concerns, like the lack, the inability to shower, the inability to use the hot tub, cold tub, spitting, you know, all chewing tobacco, a lot of that stuff could be mitigated if there was daily testing, because if you have daily testing, then there's less need for social distancing because you have a better chance of basically, you know, identifying who has been infected. Right. But daily yeah. testing is very is, hard to do from a supply chain standpoint. To do it, I don't know. Is it even possible? Like it's it possible, seem like it is. It's possible to do it, 
But it is impossible to know right now on May 26th if doing so will, if you can do it without siphoning resources away from healthcare providers and, and essential services. And I think Major League Baseball is very wary of doing that. I think that's probably one of the reasons they're not going to commit to daily testing until they know that they can basically produce enough to, um, but also not be taking it away from hospitals or other, you know, healthcare providers. And that's a real catch 22. I think that I, that I don't think they have the answer for just yet. And I don't know if they're going to have an answer in a couple of weeks either. We just, I mean, this is, it's a very complicated issue. Hey Andy, you just mentioned something that I've been talking about on Dodger talk is you're expecting a 35 year old Justin Turner to be at peak performance when he can't use the cryotherapy chamber chamber to recover Albert Pujols. <laughs> Everybody, you don't even have to be yeah. a veteran. Everybody uses the hot tub, the cryotherapy chamber to be able to right. bounce back the next day. And if they're playing double headers, how do you expect these guys to bounce back if they can't use those things? It's a great question. And also think about this, too, is if say uh, say you've got like, a, you know, your elbows barking or whatever. Right. Yeah. Is the trainer going and the trainers who are going to be aiding in the, you know, sort of the testing stuff and all the, you know, the coronavirus protocols, like are the trainers going to have the bandwidth to check in on individual injuries? And is a player going to be as willing to go into the training room and say, hey, you know, my ankle's giving me trouble right. or something like that, you know, when they're afraid of one, you know, just like getting infected going into that room potentially, but also if they're worried about, you know, siphoning away the trainer's time when he has to be dealing with all the testing and stuff. And what I think is going to happen if there is baseball this year, I think there's going to be a lot of injuries. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of hamstring strains, oblique strains, you know, forearm tightness. There's going to be a lot of, you know, minor nagging injuries. And I think there's going to be some guys who just go like, you know what, I'm, I'm on the IL for a while and just kind of bag it because it's just it's they're putting their long term baseball future at risk in this sort of scenario. I think that's the biggest thing people are overlooking, the lack of uh, facility available to those players. And how about pitchers? I mean, I was just talking about position players. You brought up a great point about pitchers, back, shoulders, elbows, all those things get huge amount of treatment before and after starts or appearances as a relief pitcher. Uh, You know, relief pitchers, certain ones push themselves to the limit because they know they're going to be able to take advantage of the treatment afforded to them. But who knows where that will be this year if it gets played. Yeah, the quality of the game is is going to be affected uh, negatively by all of these things too, right? I mean, the, if if players are if dropping off with minor or major injuries, if um, if players cannot have the recoveries that you know, the, the Justin Turner type knee therapies that they need, that's that's going to affect the game, and the product I think will be worse, maybe even noticeably worse to fans, which is probably a you know a, a, another another negative outcome that maybe maybe people forgetting that they assume that any baseball will will be as good as it as it was yeah. I, I question that too yeah so. i think the most the most irritating thing uh in a non-serious way obviously because <laughs> this is a very serious this is a very serious thing and so th- these are all trivial concerns but for me the most ir- irritating thing about the discourse involved in in getting this season off the ground is this sort of idea that you know if the owners and the players just set aside their differences we can play ball this year and i'm kind of just like it's not like Yes, they can maybe strike a labor agreement and yes, they can maybe agree on health and safety protocols, but they are still trying to play the sport in the midst of a global pandemic. It is way more complicated than just sorting out, you know, the money. 
I guess. And the money's going to be a problem, it seems like, and they're going to be back and forth, and, you know, there's going to be hurt feelings and acrimony and all that sort of stuff. But it's even then, it's not as simple as just sorting out the money. There are so many layers to this that I think the deeper you get into thinking about it, I mean, that's why that document was 67 pages and epidemiologists said it was good, but it's not comprehensive. You know, it needs to be like, it needs to be the size of war and peace to be comprehensive. That's a book, Vess. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow, out of nowhere. Mean. I know. I, well, I, I am. On that cheerful note. Yeah. I, I, this has gone hey, a lot yeah, longer than I thought on, it would. Hey, we did it. This was yeah. fun. No, it was great being on with you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank hey, you. Vesse, thank you so much for coming on. You can follow Dave on AM570 in Los Angeles. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear him after Dodgers games this year, uh, dissecting every second of the season. He's the best in the business. Am I tier one or tier three? What's your money on? <laughs> You're... <laughs> Man, if they let you on the plane, this thing is bound to fail. There's no way they can let you on the plane, right? I never stay in my hotel room. <laughs> Do you? Whoa. By the way, Whoa. well, hold on. This is—I didn't even think about this. You fly on the team plane, right? Yeah. Do you have any indication right now where you fit in the scheme of things? Zero. I have no. I nobody has contacted me about where I fit in, and I feel like I'm just so small, a piece of the puzzle. <laughs> that that's why i was joking i i've joked that i have tier five i'm i'm owning tier, tier five tier five <laughs> yeah wow if they let you on the plane it's over man it's over there's not going to be You're tier one in our hearts not safe thank yeah. you I, i'm not expecting to be traveling with the team but you know yeah. there have been bigger surprises in my life you're a tier five journalist, but a tier one guy. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, you can rate and, and review us on iTunes. Uh, we'll be back next week.